I had an uh, introduction all planned out, ready to go, then came and sat through this morning's service and uh, got four things that needed to add to the introduction, kind of rewrote the whole thing, and so uh, here we go, right? So coming out of Blake's message this morning, he told us before we speak, there's four things that we need to do. We need to look down into the revealed truth of God's word. We need to look up in prayer to God to reveal to us, help us to understand what his word says. Then we need to look inside, look inside our hearts to see if what we have inside aligns with God's word. And if it doesn't, then we need to confess that to the Lord and ask him to transform us or bring us into alignment with his word. And then and only then can we speak out about the transformation that God has brought upon our hearts. Because I'm going to confess to you, this passage that we're going to see tonight out of 1 Peter 2, I'm still working through that process. And it's, it's, it's a humbling experience as we go through that. So that's the introduction to the introduction. So let's see what I had prepared before. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why was I created? If you've ever had these questions run through your mind, you're not alone. These questions are considered by many to be among life's biggest questions. Well, we as believers in Christ, we know these, the answer to these questions. We know what our ultimate purpose is on this earth. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We will see a little of how this can play out in our daily lives as we go through our time together tonight. So if you have a copy of God's word, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're using one of the chair Bibles provided for you, it will be found on page 589. I'd like to invite you to take that Bible with you if you don't have one at home as our gift to you. So as you're turning, we're just going to kind of bring us up to speed on where we are. We've been marching through 1 Peter 2 this spring. And as we come to verses 11 and 12 tonight, we see Peter make a bit of a shift in his focus. In the first part of the chapter, Peter is telling his audience, and remember who they are. We learn that from chapter 1, verse 1, that he's writing to elect exiles of the dispersion. These are persecuted believers who are scattered throughout Asia Minor. And he's telling them who Christ is. We can look back at verses 4 through 8, and we see that he is this precious cornerstone, this stone that was rejected by men, but precious in the sight of God. Peter also reminds his audience, his readers, in verses 9 and 10, these are the verses that Grant taught on last time, who they are in Christ. He tells them they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, God's chosen people. But here in verse 11, 
we see that Peter now begins a section that will run through verse 20, and it takes a little different focus. Peter begins to outline for us how a Christian, one of God's chosen people, should live. Should live in this world that is hostile to the gospel. Sounds a lot like the world we're living in now, right? So we can pull from this lesson that Peter is writing to these believers that are scattered in Asia Minor. And we can apply it to ourselves. So let's dive in and take a look at what Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has to say. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. So as we look at this passage, there's really a lot here, and we're just going to barely skim the surface of it tonight. But as we look at it, there are several things that just kind of jump out at us, and we're going to use those as a bit of an outline. So for you note-takers, and I, I talked to my son Micah about this before we started this afternoon. He says, Daddy, what are you preaching on? I said, First Peter 2, and it just kind of laid it out there for you. And I like simple things, so I'm going to keep these points fairly simple for you. We're going to see point number one, three ways that Peter refers to or identifies his audience. Three ways he refers to or identifies his audience. Point number two, we're going to see two ways that he encourages them to behave or how they are to live in light of who they are. Two ways they should behave in light of who they are. And then we're going to see finally the third point, one, one overarching purpose. So if you're like me, you kind of see it, three, two, one. We're just going to count it down as we go, okay? So let's take a look. Point number one, three ways Peter identifies his audience. Look back at verse 11 with me. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Stop right there. What do you see? We see three things, right? He calls them three things. Beloved, sojourners, and exiles. And let's take a look at each of these words, break them apart, and see what they truly mean. That word beloved there, it is a word that occurs 111 times in 103 verses in the ESV. The root word here is love, and this is the agape love, the love of God. He is the source. So in this instance, Peter is using it to refer to Christians bound together by mutual love, a love that has God as its source. God is the, the tie that binds them together. So when Peter says beloved, he's saying you are bound together by the love of God. He is addressing this letter and this instruction to those who profess and give evidence of being followers of Christ. So this is one way he refers to his readers. Beloved, brothers and sisters, in Christ. The second word we see here is sojourners, or as some other translations say, strangers or foreigners. This refers to one who lives on earth as a stranger, a sojourner on the earth, Christians whose fatherland is heaven. 
The last word is very similar, so in many ways it's a synonym. It's exiles. And this is not the first time that Peter's used this term. Remember, we just talked about it in 1 Peter 1, verse 1, where he says they are the elect who are exiles of the dispersion. In this case, it means one who comes from a foreign country into a city or land to reside there by the natives, a sojourner in a strange place. He's using it here in reference to heaven as their native country or as their neighbor, native home. Paul also writes about this in Philippians 3.20 when it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13.14 says it this way, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So what is Peter saying here? Remember, he says, Beloved, as sojourners and exiles. So he's using these three terms. He's making a fairly emphatic point to say, as Christians, you have no permanent home here on earth. Your citizenship, our citizenship, is not here. We're merely passing through this place with our eyes set on our heavenly home. That is where we come from. So point number one, Peter identifies his audience in three ways, beloved, sojourners, and exiles. That brings us to point number two. Because this is who you are, now we see him say, this is how you should live, or this is how you should behave. Look back with me. He says in verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So he says, I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you. And what is he urging, beseeching, and begging this beloved, these Christians, these followers of Christ to do? Two things. One positive and one negative. He's saying, don't do this, and he's also saying, do this. One is on the inward part, And one is towards the outward part, the outside. He says, abstain. Abstain from what? And then later he says, keep. Keep what? Well, let's take a look. What is he urging them to abstain from? Again, look at verse 11. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. If we look at that turn of phrase, passions of the flesh, we break it apart and look at those words, it gives us a little more clarity. And I believe we'll be a little bit more um, repulsed by what he's talking about here. That word passion used here, it means a desire for what is forbidden, lust, craving, longing of the flesh or of fleshly things. Well, what is meant here by of the flesh? What are these things that are being desired, craved, or longed for? In this instance, it means having a nature of the flesh or being under the control of animal appetites governed by mere human nature, having its seat in the animal nature or roused by the animal nature. So if we take and we put that together and we take another look at this turn of phrase, passions 
of the flesh. It means a desire for what is forbidden, lusting, craving, longing for what is under control of animal appetites. That is who we all were when we were unregenerate. unregenerate. That is who we all were before we were saved out of our sin and our and death. And Peter's saying, abstain from those. Hold yourself off of this. And that word abstain, it is in the present tense, meaning that it is a continuous or repeated action. This is not a one and done sort of thing. You can't just, all right, I'm finished, I'm done. I don't have to continue doing this. No, this is a progressive sanctification. It is daily denying yourself, daily dying to yourself and choosing to follow the Lord. Well, you may say, what are these animal desires? Are there any examples or lists in God's word? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's see what Paul has to say about that in Galatians. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorry, I'm repeating those, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So we see that list coming to us out of Galatians chapter 5, Paul's listing all of those things. And I love the way it ends right there. Listen to that last statement again. Things like these. It's like he's saying, here's this list. It's not an exhaustive list. So anything that looks like these, yeah, you should stay away from those things too. Okay? We see several of these, these things, these, these passions that Paul lists have a sexual nature, and that may give some of us a false sense of security because, quite honestly, some of, you, some of us may not struggle in that area. But what I want to call your attention to, look at the middle of that list, starting in verse 20, and it says, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and division. I don't know about you guys, but I can raise my hand on almost every one of those. Those are daily temptations in my world. What about you? These are the sorts of things that Peter is saying we should abstain from. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we see from both Paul and Peter that the flesh and the desires of the flesh are at war with the soul and are opposed to God. This word war here carries with it the idea of a military campaign. It's not a skirmish. It's not a battle. It's not a one-day sort of thing. It is an ongoing event that these passions of the flesh are warring with the soul. And it's fought on the inside in our innermost being. 
It is the war of the two natures that Paul describes in Romans chapter 7. And honestly, praise be to God that that war is there. Because that war is there, it tells us that we are in possession of a redeemed spirit. If we did not have that war of two natures, that would mean there would be only one sinful nature there. So let's praise God that there is that ongoing conflict within us. We only are able to win this war on the inside when we submit ourselves to the Lord and walk in obedience to his word. James 4.12 tells us, submit yourself to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice the order there, and order matters. Submit to the Lord is the first thing that you do. And then by submitting to the Lord, the devil is resisted. And then when he's resisted because you submit to the Lord, what does he do? He flees. You can't resist the devil in your own power. It's only submitting your will to the Lord's will and walking in obedience to his word that the devil is able to be resisted. In our passage in 1 Peter 2, we see that we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Then and only then are we able to do the second thing that Peter calls us to do. And what is that second thing that Peter calls us to do? He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And there again, if we take that turn of phrase and we break it down into three simple words, keep conduct honorable. And we look at each of those, we see a beautiful picture of what Peter's conveying. To keep means to hold oneself to a thing, to lay a hold of a thing, or to adhere to or cling to it. Conduct refers to your walk, your manner of life, or your behavior. That word honorable there in this situation is referring to beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life, and hence praiseworthy, morally good, noble, and excellent. So let's take those three thoughts and put them all together and see exactly what Peter's talking about. Hold yourself or walk in a manner of life that is beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life, praiseworthy, morally good, noble, and excellent. That's what he's telling us to do. He's telling us to live a blameless life. He's telling us that we should live above reproach. And why should we do this? We cannot win this outward battle until the inward battle, the inward war has been won. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after I preach, I should myself be disqualified. This is the why behind Peter's telling us why should, we should live in this honorable way. So that when they, that's the world, that's the Gentiles, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That brings us to our third point, the why behind it. But before we get there, let's review the first two. Point number one, three ways Peter identifies his audience, beloved, sojourners, and exiles. Two ways of behaving or how you should live in light of who you are. Abstain from the passions of the flesh because they wage war against your soul. 
keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And then we see here why we should do that. The overarching purpose, one overarching purpose. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. A couple of things here. Notice that word when. It reads when, not if. Peter's saying this is going to happen. You will be slandered. You will be maligned. Later on in Peter, 1 Peter, in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. These are things that are going to happen to us in this world. Remember, this world is hostile to the gospel. So when this happens, we are to live in such a way that those that are doing it to us, those that are saying it about us, see our good deeds and ultimately are brought to a place where they glorify God. Not only are they silenced, by what we do, but because of the conduct that they observe in us, they will glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, to be honest with you, that last turn of phrase right there, on the day of visitation, I've wrestled with in preparation for this. And, and really and truly, I almost missed it. I totally missed it to begin with. In the Old Testament, oftentimes, we, we see this word, this turn of phrase, day of visitation, utilized in conjunction with blessings, we see that in 1 Samuel 2, Isaiah 10, Jeremiah 27. Other times, it's talking about judgment. And really and truly, as I was reading and preparing for this, that's where I was landing. So that at the final judgment, eventually, everybody's knee will bow and everybody's tongue will confess. But that's not what Peter's getting at. And so I'm going to quote John MacArthur on this so I can make sure I don't mess this up. He says this, all of the New Testament usage of visit, this word visit, refer to a re visit for redemption. He points to Luke 168 where it says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited us and has accomplished redemption. He goes on to say, as you move towards the end of Luke's gospel, it talks about the time of the future when judgment will come. Luke 19.44, at the end of that verse, says, because you did not recognize your time of visitation. That is, you are going to be judged because you did not know when God visited you to save you. You rejected the visitation of salvation. And ultimately, he will come in judgment. So what does all this mean? Day of visitation equals, in this instance, day of redemption. When God comes to visit them, them being those unbelievers, those Gentiles, when God comes to visit them for the purpose of salvation, they will glorify him because of the transformed lives they have seen in believers. You have an opportunity to live in such a way 
in a hostile world, when you are persecuted, when you are challenged, when you are slandered, the way you react to that, you are able to be a witness to the Lord. Think about it this way. This is what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 5 when he says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as we get ready to wrap this up in conclusion, let's briefly review our three points and then talk about some application to us today. Point number one, three ways Peter identifies his audience. Beloved, sojourners, and exiles. Because you are beloved by God, you're chosen. You're a sojourner in exiles. Your citizenship is in heaven. This is where you live now, but this is not your home. Because of all that, these two ways you should behave. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, those base animal longings, and keep your conduct, your manner of life, among the unbelievers, honorable, excellent, noble, or beautiful. Why? The overarching purpose, one overarching purpose. So that when the Lord visits them for salvation, they will, because of the way they've seen you live, glorify God and come to that place of salvation. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8. He says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are, in our daily lives, witnesses. What kind of witness are you being? Do others see your good deeds and glorify God? In your work, in your daily life, when you're going about the normal rhythms of life, what do they see? When times are hard, when people mistreat you and say all kinds of nasty things about you, what do they see? For those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are no longer under the wrath of God, who have been forgiven much, we should be pointing others to Christ by our manner of life, by our behavior, living out our faith and our good deeds. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for these words that we have seen and heard from you tonight. We pray that as we go about our daily lives, that we would, with the help of the Holy Spirit, abstain from these passions of the flesh. That we would be able to keep our conduct honorable among unbelievers. So that ultimately they may see you in us and come to salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.